Everybody get down and then Gary's going to dim the lights. And I want to talk to you this morning about the everlasting light. Jason read our scripture out of Luke chapter 2. And as you uh, read through that, it's so very familiar. You know what I've learned over the years? Sometimes... The hardest parts of the Bible to really learn and to really understand and grasp are the familiar things because you've heard them so much. Who hasn't watched a Charlie Brown Christmas and heard Linus say those same words? And they're in Christmas cards and they're in songs. And my prayer is today that the truth of those words, because they are Scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit, preserved eternally in the Bible for us, they are actually the Word of God. The words that we need to hear, the words that we need to absorb, the words that need to shape us, motivate us, the words that need to change us, the words that need to inspire us, the words that need to encourage us, and the words that need to nourish us are found right there in that simple little story in Luke chapter 2. So before we go any further, let's just have a word of prayer, okay? Open our eyes, dear Lord, to behold wonderful things in your word. The wonderful love of God, the grace of God, the peace of God, the joy of God, the truth of God, the truth about us. And the story that tells us about redemption and how it is that we as sinners can be right with a holy God. And that all comes down to one thing and that is God sent his son to be the savior of the world. Thank you for including us in your wonderful plan. And thank you that we have the privilege to share that with other people. Now will you bless us as we think on him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Let's go ahead and pull the lights down, please. And I want you to think, as the lights come down, how uncomfortable darkness is. I want you to think about, if we were to cover the windows in the doors and turn off all the lights and all the monitors and everything, how uncomfortable it would be. And that's the way the Bible describes the world. The world lies in darkness, the Bible says. And Jesus Christ was born in a world of darkness, a world that we really don't understand to the degree that we should. We don't live in those kind of times. Sure, our world is dark as well, but there are so many sources of what I would call artificial light nowadays that we don't actually see it. If you had lived back then in first century Israel, you would live in a world that was dirty. You would live in a world that had all kinds of smells, and most of them not pleasant. Water was not always and in all places readily available, and running water didn't come into houses as we do. People didn't bathe as we do. People didn't launder their clothes as we do. They didn't have indoor plumbing. They didn't have... The facilities that we have, uh, think about all of that. Animals were mainly used for their transportation. And there was manure and mud in the streets and dirt. There weren't hospitals as we think of them. And so lepers and people with diseases like that roamed about. You think about the world and all of the harshness of it. You think about the lack of medicines, the lack of painkillers, the lack of therapies, and all of that that we take for granted. You think about how hard food must have been to come by during certain seasons of the year. Yes, it might be plentiful at harvest, but what about after the harvest was over? What if you didn't plan adequately for the winter? What if the next spring the crop failed? And so the next harvest was a meager harvest, which meant a meager winter and, and a meager time during the growing season. And you worried about your children and you heard them crying for food and you would look for a, a piece of bread or something to give them. 
What if the pastures dried up and now your cattle and sheep were not producing, which meant there was no milk for the children? What if there was nothing to sell? What if there was nothing for which you could uh, use to bring income into your family? How hard would that be? And you would hope and long for better times to come. That was life. A life where they longed and hoped and prayed and looked for nothing more than just a better day. A little bit of ease. Israel had been 400 years without a prophet. 400 years. No word from God. They had to be wondering, some of them, has God forgotten us? Has God forsaken us? Because you see, it was more than just 400 years of silence. This is 400 years of silence for the people of God. These are the people who had heard from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. These are the people who had been delivered out of slavery from Egypt by Moses, who had conquered the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. These are the people who had magnificent kings like David and Solomon. These are the people who had prophets like Ezekiel, Isaiah, Malachi, Joel, Amos, and on and on we could go, where the Lord would speak to them, sometimes encouraging them, sometimes rebuking them, sometimes warning them, and sometimes telling them what was going to happen. Sometimes it was very good news, sometimes it was very unpleasant news, but let's think about this, it was always news from the throne of the Most High God. But for 400 years, after the closing of the book of Malachi, no word, no prophet, no encouragement, no rebuke, nothing but silence. Did you hear the silence just then? For about 15 seconds, and it got just a tad awkward, Israel went through 400 years of silence from God. But it wasn't just that they weren't hearing from God. They were conquered. These people who had a proud heritage. These people who were called the chosen of God. These people who had a covenant with God. And yet they're overrun by Nebuchadnezzar later to be ruled by Persia, after that to be overrun by Alexander the Great. And many times when these empires would clash and one would fall to another, the battleground would be, you guessed it, in Palestine. And the people suffered greatly, and it was no different in these days, which Jesus is born, because the Romans had replaced the Greeks. The Romans, with their paganism were defiling the holy land many of the rabbis believed that the reason the messiah didn't come is because gentiles were still in the holy land and the only way for the messiah to come would be to purge and to purify the land some tried to do it religiously some tried to do it ethically and socially and some tried to do it even with bloodshed they would assassinate roman soldiers and roman officials and then Rome would send in more troops. Rome would send in more taxes and more burdens upon the people. And they were crushed under the foot of the Roman sandal. And they were held down by the threat of the Roman sword. Nobody knew what to do and nobody knew what the answer was. Why isn't God hearing us? We're going to the synagogue every week. We're going to the temple. We're offering the sacrifices. Where is God? Why is he not answering? Why is he not speaking? And it was a dark, dark, dark world. And it was a silent world during that time. And in that story in the gospel that Jason read, we find that there were five people that were mentioned 
And the first one that is mentioned, in those days there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus, what a name. It sounds like an impressive name. That was his name. That was the name he was given when he became the emperor of Rome. But historians also know him as Octavius when he was younger and Octavian as he grew older. What precipitated the name change from Octavius to Octavian? Well, Octavius was the great nephew of a man that you've heard of. His name was Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar was one of three great Roman generals and he was a military expert and he was a conqueror he wasn't always liked by the elite he wasn't always liked by the people in the government or the people of the aristocracy but there is one thing that was true he was a populist he was loved by many of the common people he conquered he expanded the territory of Rome his influence grew to the point that he became a dictator of the Roman Republic there he was doing whatever he wanted to do famous powerful and rich but on March 15th he went in and a group of Roman senators stabbed him to death well in Julius Caesar's will it was stated that he had adopted his great nephew Octavius and under the terms of his adoption Octavius would receive all of Julius Caesar's money and everything else that he had and so Octavius is elevated he has money he has status he has privilege as a son of Julius Caesar Gaius Julius Caesar and his name is changed then to Octavian and Octavian goes on a mission to find the men that had murdered his father and to execute vengeance on them well as Mark uh, as Octavian is going to do this Mark Antony Antony and Cleopatra fame joins with him and helps him find the men and execute vengeance upon them and so when they decide that Octavian would be the one that ought to rule over them and the Roman Republic becomes the Roman Empire Octavian says I'll only do it if Mark Antony can share the power and so the two friends shared power with another man named Lepidus and it was known as the second triumvirate and these three men they ruled over Rome and Rome grew and Rome's influence expanded but as things happen and human nature uh, takes over the three men couldn't even get along with one another and there was civil war between all of them and Octavian became the winner and when Octavian became the winner he was the sole ruler over Rome and by this time Rome was not thought of as a republic but it became the Roman Empire and his name was changed in honor of Julius Caesar to Caesar Augustus that's the man that is written of in Luke chapter 2 he was a man who, as we read in the scripture, was going to exact taxes from the people. He had a lot of building projects. He had a huge military. He had a lot of things going on, and he needed the money. And the people, especially people in Israel, were suffering under the extreme taxation of Caesar Augustus. The month of August is named after him. He wanted a month just like his adopted father had July is named after Julius Caesar he wanted the month to be expanded to 31 days so it would be as long as um, his uncle's month and so he was quite a man a lot of statues a lot of images and paintings of Caesar Augustus a powerful man in fact at that time he would be thought of as the most powerful and influential man in the world if there was anybody that you would expect to be the everlasting light 
You might look to Rome. You might think Rome is where it's at. Rome is where it's all happening. And that Caesar Augustus, the first emperor of Rome, the grandnephew and the adopted son of Julius Caesar, the man who would rule the Roman Empire for 40 years. That's where it's happening, and that's where the light is. But the Bible doesn't take us to Caesar. The Bible doesn't take us to Rome. The old saying is, all roads lead to Rome. Well, not Bible roads. Bible roads lead us somewhere else. Because the Scripture tells us that there were some people that lived in Israel during that time. And during those days of darkness, there was some glimmers of light. There was a woman whose name was Mary. And Mary, as probably a teenage girl, had a visit from an angel. And the angel said, Mary, you are highly favored by God. Now, Mary was a sinner just like us. To be highly favored of God is not because she offered enough lambs or she went to the temple and the synagogue regularly. Mary was highly favored like all of us are highly favored because God wanted to, simply because of the grace of God. And Mary was told some startling news. God told her through the angel that he was going to do something amazing he was going to invade human history and he was going to do it right there in the darkness of a little oppressed conquered Israel and he was not even going to do it in Jerusalem he was not going to do it in the temple he was not going to do it among the Pharisees and the Sadducees he was not going to do it in King Herod's palace but it was going to be in Galilee and as if you couldn't get any worse and more rinky-dink than Galilee, it was going to be for someone from the city of Nazareth. Have you ever heard these words? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? It's recorded in the Bible as a response to one of the men who heard about Jesus. And that's the way they thought of Nazareth and Galilee. Galilee, bad enough. No good person, famous person, worthwhile person comes from Galilee. And then they certainly wouldn't come from Nazareth. Nazareth was known for its immorality. Nazareth was known for compromise with Gentiles and all of the filthiness that went along with that. Nazareth was a place where sometimes the women of that town would prostitute themselves with passing Roman soldiers. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And yet it was in Nazareth of Galilee to a woman named Mary that an angel appears and says, you're going to conceive a child. Mary says, how can that be? I've never had any type of sexual relations with a man. Mary, I guess you would say, was the first one to hear about and the first one to doubt the virgin birth. And the angel said that this is going to be done by God himself. And you'll bring forth a son. And this son, as we know, is going to be Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And Mary's motto for her life seems to be what she said to the angel. Let it be done unto me according to your word. And there she was, the vessel chosen by God for the Messiah to come through. And so Jesus Christ steps out of heaven into Mary's womb. And there she carries him for nine months. And then she gives birth to him in Bethlehem of Judea. Mary is a striking figure and a lot of people talk about Mary with much veneration and reverence but the Bible doesn't present her like that she was just a human that God chose to use some teach that she was a sinner uh, she was sinless 
But yet in her song, the Magnificat, she says, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. She needed a Savior, just like you need a Savior, and I need a Savior, because Mary was like all of us. She had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God was gracious to take Mary and to use her as the vehicle to bring the God-man, Jesus Christ, to the earth. And it says that she was betrothed to a man, and the man's name was Joseph. And when we read about Joseph in the Bible, we read about him as being a carpenter. He was a hard-working man. He was a common man. He was probably poor by our standards, and may have been poor by their standards as well. He was just a normal, run-of-the-mill person who worked hard. His hands were rough and calloused. He would have had a muscular frame from hauling logs around in order to take them and make them into lumber that he could use to make furniture or something like that. A powerful man, a skilled man. He was betrothed, the Bible says, to Mary. We might say they were engaged to be married. And yet at the same time, it's so much more than that in Jewish culture. See, in Jewish culture, many times, a boy and a girl, they had an arranged marriage made by their parents, maybe when they were still infants, maybe when they were little children. They didn't have much choice in the whole situation, did they? And a betrothal would take place when they became of marriageable age. Now, you have to remember, people back then, the average lifespan in America right now is somewhere in the high 70s. And that includes infant mortality and all of that. So the older you get in America, the statistically, the longer you're probably going to live. Not so in Israel in those days. The lifespan was somewhere in the 40s. It meant that while there were some who made it past that to become elderly people, we read about those in the Bible, it also meant that as a man, your time to get married, to have children, to pass on your inheritance to, might be somewhat limited. In fact, it's interesting that we read about Joseph in the Bible at the birth of Christ, and we read about Joseph when Jesus was 12 in the temple. And then after that, he seems to be absent. Where was he in his son's ministry? Where was he when he was calling his disciples? Where was he? Mary was still around. We find Mary being mentioned several times in the Bible. And she's mentioned all the way up into the book of Acts. She was in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came after Jesus' ascension. But there's no mention of Joseph. In the world in which he lived, disease ran rampant. There were a lot of accidental deaths. There were a lot of things that could have happened. There was murder and Thievery, think about the story of the Good Samaritan. We don't know what happened to Joseph, but he served his purpose and he honored God because he is said to be in the Bible a just man, a justified man. Joseph was a man who did not believe that his rituals and his righteousness gained him favor with God. In fact, he was a man like his ancestor Abraham and his ancestor David who believed God as the one who provides atonement by grace through faith. And every time he offered a lamb, he looked forward to the time when God would send his Messiah to be the Lamb of God that would take away sin. Joseph and Mary both were blood descendants of King David. And yet here they are, with little to nothing, having to obey a far-off Roman to go to Bethlehem, their ancestral city, the city of David, so that they could be registered, and the registration was for the purpose of taxation. Are we not taxed enough already? 
How much more can they take? How are we supposed to live when the Romans take all of these taxes? And worse yet, Jewish brothers would collaborate with Rome and Rome would say to them, you be a publican, a tax collector, and you give us what we require and whatever you can take above that will be yours. And so the tax collectors became rich, they funded Rome, and the people became poorer. This is not the way you expect a royal family to live. And yet Mary and Joseph both have the blood, the DNA of King David in them. They would be the royal family of the nation of Israel because it was prophesied that Jesus had to be a Jew and Jesus had to be through the bloodline not only of Abraham but Isaac and then to come through Jacob and then through Judah and be of the tribe of Judah and a descendant of David through Solomon and Jesus fulfills all of that and that's Mary and Joseph and Joseph, when he is concerned about Mary, can you imagine when Mary tried to tell people, no, I promise I'm pregnant because of God. How people must have laughed and rejected her. No wonder she went to see her cousin Elizabeth. And Joseph is thinking what any man would think. She's cheated on me. She's unfaithful. But being a just man, he was going to put her away or divorce her. That's the only way you could break a betrothal. And he was going to do it privately because he was a compassionate man who cared. And the Bible says that in a dream an angel came and said, Joseph, son of David. It's interesting how man would not use that title, but God would. God knew the bloodline. God knew Joseph's status. Son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary your wife. For that which is in her is of the Holy Spirit. And you shall call his name Jesus. And he prophesies in there that Joseph's, Joseph's adopted son would sit on the throne of David. It was an amazing thing. And Joseph immediately made arrangements to proceed with the remainder of the betrothal, the preparations and in the marriage ceremony itself. Can you imagine as Joseph told his father, Mary is pregnant, and his father said, Joseph, what have you done? Oh, I haven't touched her. Then his father with concern says, what has she done? Oh, don't worry about it, Dad. It's from God. It's been 400 years since we've even had a prophet, but Mary has heard from God, and God has broken his silence through her and through me. And Joseph's daddy probably wouldn't believe that any more than you would believe that about your child. And yet it was true. And Joseph had to endure the gossip, the snickers as he walked through town, a people that would wonder how a man could shame himself so much as to raise another man's child. And yet Joseph did it because it was the will of God. So you have Jesus being raised by parents, one who says, Nevertheless, let it be as your word has said unto me. And the other one who is a just man who will put up with and go through and tolerate anything in order to fulfill the will of God and be obedient to the God of his fathers. There's also another group that was mentioned in this particular story, and that is that of the shepherds. When we think of shepherds, we think of a peaceful scene that we might have seen in a painting and the sheep are grazing and the sky has some nice white fluffy clouds and the grass is green and the shepherd is watching and it's a peaceful scene where you could meditate and contemplate creation and the wonders of God and everybody was appreciative to the shepherds now the truth is Israeli society desperately desperately needed the shepherds 
They needed the milk that would come from the goats. They needed the wool from the sheep. They needed the sacrifices. They needed the food that they would provide, the meat that would come from these goats and these lambs. The sad thing was, though, they didn't really want to need the shepherds. They didn't like the shepherds, and to be a shepherd in that day was to be little more than a slave. Shepherds had no status, no one to look after them, no one to care for them. Being a shepherd was what you did when you had nothing else to do. No skills, no intellect, no talent, no ability. If you can't do anything else, you can be a shepherd. But it was even worse than that. It wasn't just a low life kind of an embarrassing job. It was the kind of thing that everybody suspicioned the shepherds. You know what shepherds are like, don't you? They're immoral. They're profane. They're not really cultured. They're dirty. You can imagine what they smelled like. They live and they work outside all of the time. And they're off by themselves. They're kind of isolated. They're weird. You don't want your son to grow up to be a shepherd. And you don't really want to have shepherds over for dinner. You don't want to be known as being a friend of a shepherd. In fact, later on, rabbis would write about shepherds and they would say, don't ever buy milk, don't ever buy wool, and don't ever buy a lamb or a baby goat, a kid, from a shepherd because it would be stolen. Just assume the worst. I mean, who's out there to see if they take a lamb that was born out there and it belonged to whoever owned the herd? Well, they could take it and keep it for themselves and hide it and then maybe try to sell it and make a little money. So everything the shepherds did was under suspicion, under the light of the suspicion, under the uh, cloud of immorality and a lack of character. Can't ever trust a shepherd. They might have said the only good shepherd is a dead shepherd, something like that. People in Israel and in those towns, it might have been that when they wanted to insult one another, they called somebody a shepherd or a son of a shepherd or something like that. In fact, the rabbis would not even allow the shepherds to testify in a court of law or hold a judicial office. You ever been called for jury duty? If you walked in for jury duty and they said, what do you do for, what's your name and what do you do for a living? My name is Greg. Good. I'm a shepherd. Disqualified. Why did you even bother to come? They wouldn't believe the testimony of a shepherd. Surely not a shepherd. And yet this is the world into which Jesus is born. A dark world with a Roman Empire uh, emperor who thought that he was descended from the gods and after his death was declared to be a god, taking on the name of his adopted father Caesar so that every succeeding person who rules over Rome is called a Caesar in honor of Julius Caesar and in honor of Caesar Augustus. He thought he was a god. In a town and in a place where he has a mother that is under the suspicion of being pregnant out of wedlock, therefore she must have been immoral and she must be one of those kind of women and she would have to live with that the rest of her life and so would Jesus in fact, at one point, the Pharisees said to Jesus, We know who our father is. Was that a slam? Probably. Probably. Because the rumor was, nobody really knew who the father was of Jesus Christ. You have Joseph, who is a just man, who along with his betrothed wife, Mary, are saying, whatever the Lord wills and whatever needs to be done, that's what we want to do. And then, when God wants to give witness to the birth of His Son, He doesn't use Pharisees, Sadducees, 
emperors, nobility. He goes to the shepherds. The people that no one is going to believe. The people that have no credibility. Could God have made it any harder for his son to be born? You see, when Jesus was born, he was told that these things will be a sign unto you. And the one thing we know about being a sign is nothing about that is going to be normal or it wouldn't be a sign. If it were normal for children to be born in stables, it wouldn't have been a sign. If it were normal for them to wear swaddling clothes, it wouldn't have been a sign. If it were normal for virgins to give birth to children, it wouldn't have been a sign. But in Isaiah 7.14 it says that this is the sign. A virgin shall give birth to a child and you're going to call his name Emmanuel, which Matthew tells us means God with us. Jesus Christ is not just a baby who happened to be born out in the cold in a stable under adverse conditions. He is God in human flesh sent by the Father to be the sacrifice for sinners like you and like me. Without him, we have no hope. Jesus is the one that was preexistent. In John 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is that? Well, he tells us later on, And the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. This is the one that the prophet spoke of. But He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God. And you know what? That is true. It was God that planned for Jesus to come and to die, to suffer the wrath of God in our place for our sin. It's taught all throughout the Bible, the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, did I not tell you that the Son of Man must fulfill the prophecies that come in the Old Testament? His disciples should have known that, but they didn't get it. Many people today don't get it either. Jesus comes to live, live according to the law, live under the law of God, and to fulfill the law of God, which no one else was able to do, and that qualified him to be the sacrifice. If you had been living in those days in Bethlehem or in Jerusalem and you heard something about a baby being born in a stable, you might have said, well, that's weird, because it was. You might have said, oh, that poor mother. Oh, that poor child. Oh, how sad something like that would happen. But you wouldn't pay much attention to it. You wouldn't think much of Mary. You wouldn't think much of Joseph. After all, Joseph is just a carpenter from Nazareth. Mary's just a young girl from Nazareth who probably got caught messing around, and that's why the pregnancy. Shepherds, who cares what shepherds think? In fact, you probably wouldn't care a whole lot about what was going on in the world that day unless something was said by Caesar Augustus. Then it had your attention. So as time went by, shepherds died. And we don't even know their names. And yet they were the first to witness and the first to testify. But nobody cared. Mary would die. Contrary to what some believe, she wasn't caught up into heaven. She died. She was buried somewhere. She's in heaven today. But her light is gone. Her testimony is only recorded in the word of God. But she lived under a cloud of suspicion all of her life. What did you really do, Mary? What really happened to get you pregnant? Don't tell us that God stuff. What really happened? And Joseph died fairly early in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he passed without much fanfare. We don't have any record of his death. We don't have any record of his burial. We don't have any record about his funeral. Nothing at all. 
his life passed on. He's in heaven now. You'll get to meet him someday. Can you imagine when you see Jesus with his nail-scarred hands and feet, and as you are able to look upon his face, what if he were to say to you, before you go any further, I want you to meet my earthly father. This is Joseph. Can you imagine what that is going to be like when you meet that godly man who was the earthly father and provider and protector of the Lord Jesus Christ? But none of that would have mattered if you lived in the day in which Jesus lived. No one would have cared, but there was one you would have paid attention to. What did Caesar say? What did Augustus say? What do we have to do? What's happening? How is this going to affect our welfare? And this man sat on the throne in Rome. This man considered himself to be a god himself. And yet one day, after reigning in the empire for 40 years, he's gone. And 2,000 years later, most of us and our children know very little about him. But in the midst of this darkness, there is a hope, a light that burns. The everlasting light still shines. And one day Jesus is going to come again. And Augustus is going to bow before a baby he may have never heard of or cared about. One day when Jesus comes again, life is going to change drastically for every person on this earth and every person who has ever lived because he's coming the second time to be the judge. Are you ready to meet him in his judgment? The prophet Amos said, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. And that's a lot of people today. They're just comfortable. What I believe is what I believe. What I think is what I think. I don't really care about all of that. Then Amos said, prepare to meet thy God. And there are people today who met God who didn't expect to meet God. There are people today who slipped into eternity who did not expect to slip into eternity. Last week at the church that Sammy and I served in Georgia, there was a faithful couple on their way to church on Sunday morning. Someone ran a red light, T-boned them, and they were both killed instantly. They weren't expecting it. The church wasn't expecting it. The pastor has to do a double funeral. But there's one thing we know for sure. God expected it. <clears throat> and God called them home through that. And the only reason, the only reason that they're in heaven is because of the everlasting light of Jesus Christ. He's the payment for their sins. So I want you to think about that. And I want you to think about how the light of everybody famous and popular and how the lights of those that no one's ever heard of, the homeless, the forgotten, the unknowns, their lights go out too because it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Are you ready for that judgment? Have you thought about who Jesus is? I want you to listen to these words and I want you to think about who Jesus is and who you are and what the future really is because of and through Jesus. child would be born and in a manger laid and who would have thought this little child was born the king of kings the son of just a carpenter but for whom the angels sing and who would have thought that as he grew and with other children played this child with whom they laughed and sang would die for them someday. And who would have thought this little child could make a blind man see? Feed the hungry, make 
the poor and set the sinner free. And who would have thought this little child was who the prophet said would take away the sins of man and rise up from the dead. I hope you can say this too. have been built and fallen only time has made a change nation against nation brother against brother men so filled with hatred killing one another and over half the world is starving while our banner of decency is torn debating over the environment then killing babies before they're born and fools will march to win the right to justify their sin every nation that has fallen has fallen from within yet in the midst of all king are you ready for his return the God man born of a virgin living a perfect life that you could never live dying a death you could never die because he took the very wrath of God for all of your sins and only he could absorb all of it as the infinite God man so that he could say to tell us die it is finished it's paid for be put in a tomb and be raised never to die again never to be put to an open shame again and exalted to the right hand of God the Father till his enemies are made his footstool to return one day as the rider on the white horse to conquer the world and to rule and reign on the throne of his father David that's what Christmas is all about yeah. 
And you can personally know that God if you will repent of your sins and trust only, only, only in Jesus Christ and what He has done and confess Him as Lord of your life. Now we've got some people that are going to be standing in the back of the auditorium today. And if something moved you and if something is tearing at your heart telling you that you are lost that you have no hope outside of Jesus why don't you trust him today and they're back there with Bibles they'll be able to show you so you can see for yourself what God says about eternal life and salvation in his word because it's not by works it's only by grace and the reason God gives us grace is because we have faith in the sacrifice of the Son of God, the everlasting light. Have you trusted Him? Will you trust Him? You have no other hope but to trust in Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. Every head bowed, eyes closed. Father, as we think about this today, thank you for your plan. Thank you that it was carried out without question. Thank you that it was never even in doubt. You planned it. You did it. Jesus came. He fulfilled your will perfectly. And now he is going to come again. I pray that everybody in here is ready. And I pray that this Christmas season and celebration, that we don't just fall onto the bandwagon of celebrating something that doesn't really matter, but we would remember Jesus. Save somebody today, Lord. Warm our hearts as saved people to bring us to goodness, to bring us to repentance, to bring us to a right standing with you through the Lord Jesus and through the way that we live so that others can see Christ in us. Let that light shine in and through us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to